I hope that you will join me with an open Bible as we look together at 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 18 to 29. What we see in David's prayer recorded here is the most courageous prayer any person could ever pray. And it is a prayer that God always answers. A prayer that God always answers. And he answered David's prayer in a mighty way and the same thing that he can and will do in light of your prayers and my prayers when we offer them with the courage we see in David's prayer. So what is that prayer? What is this prayer that God always answers? To put it very simply, it's yes. Yes. It's saying yes to God's promises and to God's will, to what God wants. Saying yes to God. That takes enormous courage on our parts. Because in order to say yes to what God wants and to God's will, we have to say no to what we might want and to our own will. But if we are to pray as David prayed, we are to have this courage. And God answers this prayer, and we can be encouraged by that. But we need to see two principles to understand and learn from the model we see in David. The first principle is that God always answers prayers offered according to his will. God always answers prayers offered according to his will. Why? Because God is sovereign. God is all-powerful. God's will ultimately will be accomplished throughout the universe. God's will, what God wants, will be fulfilled. And there is nothing and there is no one who can thwart or derail what God wants, God's will. And so God answers prayers that are offered in accordance with his will. When we say, yes, Lord, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That is a prayer God always answers. But in order to be able to say that, we need courage. We need the courage to be able to say yes to God and no to ourselves and to what we might want. And the fact is that our desires and what we want and what we long for are misaligned from God's will. We want things, we long for things, we crave things, and we try to satisfy those longings in all the wrong ways that are not according to what God has revealed in his word, what God has said, what he wants. And so to be able to pray as David prayed, to have the courage and the confidence and the boldness to pray as David prayed here in 2 Samuel 7. We need to also know this truth. 
the more your desires are conformed to God's will, the more courageous your prayers will be. The more your desires are brought into alignment, the more they are conformed to God's will, what God wants above all, the more courage, the more boldness you're going to have in your prayer life. And you aren't ashamed to come before this God. You come boldly with courage. And God not only hears that prayer, God always answers that prayer. So let's turn together to verse 18 and read through verse 21. Then King David went in and sat before the Lord, and he said, Who am I, sovereign Lord, and what is my family that you have brought me this far? And as if this were not enough in your sight, sovereign Lord, you have also spoken about the future of the house of your servant. And this decree, sovereign Lord, is for a mere human. What more can David say to you? For you know your servant, sovereign Lord. For the sake of your word and according to your will, you have done this great thing and made it known to your servant. Let's notice a seemingly insignificant detail about the context. We read in verse 18, King David went in and sat before the Lord, meaning he went from his palace to the tabernacle where the Ark of the Covenant was kept, and he sits down before the Lord. And something that's present in the Hebrew, refers back to chapter 7, verse 1. After the king was settled in his palace, and the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies around him. When the king was settled, literally when he was sitting, he was sitting. And so we see this movement in the course of this chapter, where first David is sitting in his palace. He's sitting in comfort, and he looks upon the Ark of the Covenant and God's presence from a distance. And he thinks to himself, here I am living in a house of cedar while the Ark of God remains in a tent. This isn't right. I need to build a temple. I need to build a house for God. And this is where God intervenes to say, no, that's not my plan for you, David. I have bigger plans for you. And those plans don't hinge on what you do for me. They hinge on what I'm going to do in you and through you and for you. And so the movement in response to that revelation from God is to bring David out of his comfy palace and to the presence of God. And this is the starting point of prayer. We pray in response to what God has said. We praise God in response to what God has revealed. And this revelation brings us before the Lord, before God. And it is in that proximity and from that posture that we pray. We need to note that. Also, notice the very first words out of David's mouth. 
Who am I, Sovereign Lord? Who am I, Sovereign Lord? You'll notice in your copy of the Scriptures that Lord is probably put in all caps. When you see the Lord's name put in all caps, that is an indication by the translators that this is God's unique personal name. A name so sacred and so holy that it is not to be pronounced. It is not to be pronounced. And that's the name that David is employing. And then Sovereign Lord, literally, my Lord, Lord, is what he says. And some translations will say, Lord God, Lord God putting God in all caps. This is the only time in the books of 1 and 2 Samuel where God is described this way. David is the only one who talks to God this way, who reveals this kind of intimacy and has this unique relationship with God. Just as God had called him my servant, we're given a window into the intimacy of a courageous prayer life. And it begins with, who am I, sovereign Lord, before you? Who am I that, that you have brought me this far? And so if we are to pray courageously because our desires are conformed to God's will, we need to see in David this truth. We need to see that David had the courage to confess that God's plans are better than his. And we now, to have this courage, need to be able to confess that God's plans are better than our own. Can you say, God, your plans are better? Because remember, David is saying this after God has said, no, no. David wanted to build a temple. He had big plans. He was going to do something great for God. And God said, no, that's not my plan for you, David. But if we zoom out of this particular incident, we can see how throughout David's life, God has been showing him that his plans are better. You go back to when God first called him in 1 Samuel 16. David was a shepherd. He wasn't looking for a crown. He wasn't looking for a kingdom. He wasn't looking for a throne, but God found him and said, I have plans for you. You are my chosen one. I'm going to reveal my heart, my will for my people through you and through your reign. And throughout David's life, We can see how God has been redirecting him for what he probably thought his life was going to look like. After he faces off against Goliath and demonstrates great boldness for God and great courage for God, he becomes an outlaw and has to run from place to place being hounded by King Saul. Now, do you think David would have ever planned it that way? Of course not. Of course not. 
And now David is thinking, okay, I finally arrived. I'm safe and sound. I have my palace. Now all that remains is to build God a house and just put God in that box and then I have God where I need him. And God will be pleased by that. And God says, no. And David's prayer is saying yes to God's plan. And that takes incredible courage on our part. To say, God, this is not how I planned it. God, this is not how I would have wanted my life to go. But you have brought me this far. And I'm not going to give up on you now. Who am I and what is my family? And he says, as if that were not enough, you've spoken about the future. And this decree, sovereign Lord, is for a mere human. A mere human. And we could take this in at least two different directions. What he literally says is this is for Adam. Adam. And Adam is both the name of the first man created by God and a name for all of mankind, humankind. And so in saying this is for a mere human, David might be echoing what he says in Psalm 8. What is mankind that you are mindful of them? This God who has set his glory in the heavens. What is mankind? What is Adam? What are human beings that you are mindful of them, that you care for them, that you have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor? You have made them rulers over the works of your hands, you put everything under their feet. Who are we that you should do something like that? For mere mortals. We could take it in that sense. But you might also notice that your Bible has a footnote. That this could mean that God has done this for the whole human race. God's promise to David to make a great kingdom out of him. An everlasting eternal kingdom. To establish an eternal throne through him. And through his family is not just for David, not just for his family, not just for the people of Israel, but for the world to bless all the families of the earth. And that would be fitting for God. Because what does God say right after he creates Adam? You go back to Genesis 1, verse 27. So God created Adam, mankind, in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And don't miss this, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. It is God's plan from the beginning of creation to bless his people. And while human sin interrupts that and tries to thwart that, God picks up the plan again with Abraham in Genesis 12. Verse 2, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And now, David is acknowledging that God's plan runs right through his life. Right through his family. And the implications are for all. 
for every family on earth. Who am I that God would include me in that story? What more can David say to you? For you know your servant, sovereign Lord. You know me. And to say God knows him is to say more than God just knows about him. This is to say God has set his love and his special affection upon this individual. And he is so thankful. For the sake of your word and according to your will, you have done this great thing and made it known to your servant. Why has God done this? For the sake of his word and according to his will. There is nothing in David that makes him worthy of this. This is because of God's own word and according to his own purposes, according to what God wants. And it's not at all the way David would have planned it. And that means in your prayer life right now, this would be an outstanding way to begin. God, who am I? Who am I? That you would choose to speak to me. That you would make yourself known to me. That you would make your will and what you want known to me. And it's only with that kind of humility that we can say, God, this isn't how I planned it. This isn't what I would have wanted. But I confess, your plans are better than my plans. Do you have the courage to say that today? Next, when we move to verse 22, David is describing what God has done, and now he's describing who God is. How great you are, sovereign Lord. There is no one like you, and there is no God but you, as we have heard with our own ears. And who is like your people Israel? the one nation on earth that God went out to redeem as a people for himself and to make a name for himself and to perform great and awesome wonders by driving out nations and their gods from before your people whom you redeemed from Egypt. You have established your people Israel as your very own forever and you, Lord, have become their God In David, we see the courage to confess that God's power is the greatest. The courage to confess that God's power is the greatest. He says, there is no one like you. The God revealed in the Bible, the God who revealed himself to David is entirely unique. We try to make parallels. We try to, to find a correspondence with what we know and what we can see. But this God is entirely unique. And his power surpasses anything that we could possibly imagine as human beings. And he has chosen to show that power through his people. And who is like your people, Israel? These people what is it about these people that makes them special? Nothing in themselves. It's entirely because God has chosen to work in them and through them. 
And God did this to make a name for himself. He redeemed them out of slavery in Egypt. He drove out nations and the gods of those nations. He proved that they were nothing before his people whom he redeemed. And now he has established them as his very own. So there is no other people on earth who can say, he is our God and we are his people. A God who is totally unique and who reveals his unique power by choosing his people. And again, what is it about these people? There's nothing in, them, in themselves. And God makes that very clear to them. Look, God says to Israel, I didn't choose you because you were more numerous. I didn't choose you because you were more powerful. In fact, you're the least of the nations. And yet, I set my affection upon you. Now, we may say, I thought God didn't show favoritism. It's true that God does not show favoritism on the basis of anything that we show favoritism on. On the basis of the color of your skin, on how much money you have, on what you've accomplished or not. God doesn't show favoritism on that basis, but he does choose his people. And he does choose to work in and through his people in a unique way. And he calls people from every tribe, nation, and tongue to assemble around himself and around his redeeming work in the world. And here's why this takes courage to confess that God's power is the greatest. We put so much stock in human ability and in human ingenuity and human creativity. We can do anything, right? If we just put our mind to it, if we just work together, we can change the world, we can do anything. And that's just human pride. And our human pride leads us to believe that apparent strength is an asset and weakness or apparent weakness is a defect and doesn't count. And this is why, by the way, we generally look at the human life cycle and we say that your best days are when you're young. That's when you're, you're powerful and vigorous. Don't waste those days. I, I had people tell me when I was in college, these are the best years of your life. And then we think, as we get older, and our appearance fades, and our hair gets gray, and we become weaker, we think, well, there's nothing to look forward to now. It's over. We're weak. We're helpless. To think that way is to renounce the God who reveals his power through human weakness. We can't afford to think that way. That's not the God we have come to know in his word. He chooses nobodies. And he reveals his power through nobodies. He triumphs over the powerful and the great, over Pharaoh and Egypt. Using the least of all the nations. And that's how he works. So do you have the courage today to confess 
God, your power is the greatest. And I cannot do anything apart from you. I think I can, and I pretend like I can, because I'm stubborn. But God, I confess, I pray, your power is the greatest. And I can see that in how you've been working through your people, through me, that you have chosen to save someone like me, to be merciful and gracious to someone like me. Can you confess that today? If you can, if you can say, God, your plans are better than my plans. God, your power is the greatest. Then that's the Spirit of God bringing your desires into alignment with his will. And that is a prayer God always answers. And it's the way Jesus taught us to pray. You go to Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Holy, sacred be your reputation and your renown and your glory. Not mine. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, we long for the earth, this fallen, sinful earth, to reflect the perfection of heaven. We want your kingdom to come. We want your power to be shown, starting in our own lives. This is the most courageous prayer anyone could ever pray. And it's the prayer that the Lord Jesus taught us. And we can see how the same principles are modeled in David's prayer. Who am I before this God? Who are these people before this God? And when we move to verse 25, we see David's request as he continues to say yes to God. And now, Lord God, Keep forever the promise you have made concerning your servant and his house. Do as you have promised, so that your name will be great forever. Then people will say, The Lord Almighty is God over Israel, and the house of your servant David will be established in your sight. Lord Almighty, God of Israel, you have revealed this to your servant, saying, I will build a house for you. So your servant has found courage to pray this prayer to you. Sovereign Lord, you are God. Your covenant is trustworthy, and you have promised these good things to your servant. Now be pleased to bless the house of your servant, that it may continue forever in your sight. For you, sovereign Lord, have spoken, and with your blessing, the house of your servant will be blessed forever. David prays for God's promises to be fulfilled, for God's kingdom to come, for his will to be done. But in order to do that, he has to have the courage to believe that God's promises are totally trustworthy. 
He demonstrates the courage to confess that God's promises are totally and completely trustworthy. Do you believe that today? Do as you have promised. Not so that my name will be great, not so that my agenda will be exalted, but so that your name will be great forever. So that your name will be great forever. The name of God, His glory, His reputation, His renown. Then people will say, this will be a witness to the people, that this God, the Lord Almighty, the Lord of hosts, the God of heavenly armies is God over Israel. And the house of your servant David will be established. And he says in verse 27, So your servant has found courage to pray this prayer, because you've spoken. I have courage. Literally, I have found my heart because you have spoken. Now, my desires, my longings, my wants are brought into perfect alignment and perfect conformity with your will, God. God, I want what you want. And I want what you want because I believe your promises are completely trustworthy. That is what is stoking his courage. And it is that same conviction that will stoke your courage to pray now. And God will always answer that prayer. But here's the hard part. David says this without knowing and without seeing how God will fulfill this promise. He doesn't live to see it. He has to take God at His word. And He does. Look at verse 28. Sovereign Lord, You are God. Your covenant, literally Your word, is trustworthy. And You have promised these good things to Your servant. Your word is good. You are as good as Your word. And I have tasted and I have seen enough of Your goodness and your good gifts to believe that you can and you will fulfill everything you have promised. David had the courage to say yes to God because of what God had said. Do you have that same courage? Would you... Describe your prayer life as courageous, as bold? Or do you find yourselves saying the same words over and over again? Or when the question is asked, does anybody feel led to pray, you do this number, not me, not me. And to be clear, there is a difference between your personal prayer life and a public prayer. There is a difference. But you don't have to be a good public speaker to be able to say yes to God. You don't have to be articulate.
to be able to say yes, as David said, yes to God. You just have to have the courage to say, God is as good as his word, and he can fulfill everything, every single promise he is capable of fulfilling. And for us right now, we know that in the fullness of time, God sent his son so that we have seen the fulfillment of God's promise to David in sending the Lord Jesus to reign on David's throne. And he has come and he has shown us the life that is pleasing to God, the life that is lived according to God's will. Because not only did Jesus teach us to pray, God, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He lived it even to the point of dying on the cross and saying, Father, not my will, but yours be done. To have more courage in your prayer life, we need to know the truth revealed in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning at verse 20. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us set his seal of ownership on us and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Every promise of God finds its yes in Jesus. And this is why it is so important that we pray in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Because it is only through Jesus and because of what Jesus has done for us that we can pray with confidence and with courage. Because Jesus' atoning death on the cross and his triumphant resurrection has made it possible for you and for me to cry out to God, Father, Father, hallowed be your name. Holy, sacred be your name. Only because of what Jesus has done for us. And so today, do you have the courage to say, God, Father, who am I? God, your plans are better than mine. God, your power is the greatest. God, your promises are totally and completely trustworthy. I pray that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you would. And that God would strengthen your confidence in his ability to be there for you. Because the answer to everything you're looking for in your life is found in Jesus. So we pray in Jesus' name. May we do that today. Dear Lord, We thank you for 
the model of David's prayer that shows us you are good and you are a good father to us. And we don't have to just read about that. We can know that because you have proven your love for sinners like us, for unworthy people like us, in what Jesus has done for us on the cross. And Lord, you have raised him from the dead, and he is alive, and he is interceding for us now, and he has sent the Holy Spirit now, so that no matter what we are facing, no matter how many twists and turns we have in our lives, no matter how many valleys we find ourselves in, we are assured that your will is going to be done. Your kingdom is going to come. What you want for us and for this world will be fulfilled. And so we yield, we surrender, we submit to you, Lord God. In the name of Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit. For we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have any questions about what it means to pray in Jesus' name, about what it means to pray courageous prayers, I pray that you would reach out to me by email. If you have any ministry needs, be sure to reach out. We are so glad that you've been able to join us for this service of worship. Have a wonderful week.